Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Isfell, sitting here as always with Arthur Black. Hello, hello. And today we've got a special guest with us, uh, David Andracek, uh, the owner of one of the greatest bars in downtown Indianapolis, in my <laughs> opinion, uh, the Chatterbox. Yes, Chatterbox Jazz Club. Welcome to Shift Drink, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to come right out and just tell everybody the reason why I sound like Snuffleupagus is <laughs> because I'm not really feeling that good. I got kind of a chest thing. So if I start hacking, um, it's not because we're doing bong hits or something. It's um, the chest thing. So, <laughs> anyways. Well, can we put that as a qualifier for every Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I start coughing. It's not from the bong hits. So, um, <laughs> David, what um, did you have to drink last night? Uh, just a red wine, Cabernet. Uh, and pretty much, uh, let's see, that was all and water. I had the Chatterbox Bowling League evening. And yeah, I always, we want to talk about this. I've yeah, heard about this. And this was the start of the uh, 11th year. Uh, 56 people, 14 teams of four, out on the east side, all-star bowl. Very cool. Do you um, remember where it was from, the red wine? Uh, well, the one I had when I came back here, it's Argentina. Okay, cool. Yeah. The beautiful country. The one I had from the bowling alley, I, like, I don't know. Bowling alley I don't wine? know. I think it was barefoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but was, that's uh, all right. Yeah, at the bowling alley. It's consumable. Your wine list. <laughs> it's consumable. No, they actually got red wine for me because mm. they didn't have it. So you don't happen to have grower champagne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. That's you, man. I've been to plenty of bars with you that de- very definitely did not have grower yeah. champagne. Tell me. Uh, Getting all snobby. Tell me about the vintage of this particular wine at the bowling alley. <laughs> oh, uh, I have no idea. I'm guessing it was uh, a Late 2016, maybe early <laughs> 2017. Popular grape, man. Most widely <laughs> cultivated Vitis vinifera uh, grape. And Chardonnay, its white counterpart. Um, actually, it is a crossing of Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc. All right. My what little. did you drink last night, though? <laughs> uh, tea. Did, oh, right. Yeah. You're, so Arthur's uh, on the wagon doing a little detox. He's doing a yoga retreat next month in Guatemala. Um, after we're doing a little quick trip to New York. Um, so we're yeah, New some, York will be fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to reach out, and we're going to be hanging with Southern Teague for a little bit, and uh, probably Martin Kate as well. So look for some cool episodes coming up in, in February. Uh, yeah, I, um, February I'm so excited for, especially like with this weather. It is so fucking cold right now it's here crazy. in Indiana. It is bitter cold, and last night... I lost a glove, so I've been walking around with one glove. And <laughs> before I came here, I stopped by three stores to find a fucking pair of gloves. And apparently, this is clearance season. Like, the glove season <laughs> no, is over. No, you can't shop for gloves when it's zero degrees outside, man. <laughs> or, or sidewalk salt, either. Right, yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, how do you or not, shovels. <laughs> how do you not? Like, it's wintertime. It takes a while. How can you not have a decent selection of gloves? Like, I finally found a pair. I'm not real happy with them. But they were the only pair that um, wasn't like one of the the outside athletic gloves, like Adidas spandex gloves, which is ridiculous. Like who who exercises outside? Sure, yeah, man. In the cold, in the wintertime. They do have gloves at uh, Lowe's and Home Depot and so on, work gloves, but they have insulated work gloves, too. I was in a rush to to get here. (laughs) uh, David, do you work out outside in the Uh, wintertime? Yes, I do, every single day. I do a a health walk with many layers on and weights on my arms, mile and three quarters every day. Ed? Uh, I missed 14 last year. I just got my statistics for 2016. That's commitment. And then uh, additionally, I do a lot of other walking, but not with weights with a purpose kind of thing. It's just walk from here to there. I a walk from B. home. It's about nine minutes walk from home. Right, Very right. intentional. Okay. Ed? 
Do you what? work out outside in the no, wintertime? <laughs> as little yeah. as possible, man. Me neither. Like, to me, there's one instance where you can work out outside in wintertime and it's cool. And it's if your best friend was killed in the ring and then you fly to Russia to avenge his death and take on the Iron Curtain <laughs> and, yeah. and fight. You got to drag Dra me out. Fight. I hate this weather. Ivan Drago and then listen to Hearts on Fire and your name is Rocky. Like, that's the only time you should work out outside in the wintertime. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Chatterbox. This what? is, yeah, what I was going to say is the Chatterbox, same thing you were getting ready to say. is I mean, this is, for me, I, I really love the Chatterbox in the winter because it feels warming on the inside anyway. It's like it's like this really, for, for those of you outside of Indianapolis, man, this place has been here for how long? Well, uh, building 120 years, Chatterbox name since 1939. Uh, my predecessor bought it in 1941, and I bought it in 82. So Damn. coming up to 36 years for me. Yeah. I added the music. There was no live music. Yeah, and so this I was, um, I mean, it's just this great dive jazz club. I mean, you can consider yourself a dive bar? Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I was like, I don't know how yeah, you couldn't, yeah, but I mean... Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. But like, yeah. this is the greatest dive bar in the city, in my opinion. Um, I'm also biased, uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so you, you've definitely been around for a while. The, um, absolutely. Back in 1939, that still was like a bar or a pub, Yes, right? yes, yes. Always a bar uh, since Prohibition. Now, before that, I don't know. There were... Uh, we did uh, some research on historic... Um, uh, addresses and this one came up and there were various retail shops a mantle repair shop a fireplace shop that kind of thing when uh when you were doing that research did uh um, did you come across like information that was insightful to the culture like the population the demographic certain nationalities or the industry like what was mass ave in 1940 yeah, um, I guess I don't know much beyond the way the bars on the street operated. So most of the time, uh, people that lived around here were third shift workers or first shift workers, because this was a commercial corridor along Mass Avenue, as was planned, Indiana Avenue, Virginia, and uh, Kentucky. All of them, as diagonals, were planned as commercial corridors. So this I was, never knew that. This was one of those. Yeah, they planted it in 1821 for that, and it didn't start to expand until middle uh, 80s, uh, 1880s. Okay, so you got, you took over ownership in 82? Correct. All right, great vintage guys, by the way. Um, so 82. <laughs> Dive bars, great vintage wine. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know where my mind is today. I'm just going to follow it on little, <laughs> little impulses. So when you bought it, like, how had Mass Ave evolved? Like, what well, was it like 1980s? There was 80s? a major white flight to the suburbs in the late 60s. Mass so Mass Exodus. Avenue tended to be deserted except for bars and a couple of anchor stores like Stout Shoes, which still exists yeah, down in the 300 block. 1886, yeah. same family. It's either the fifth or sixth generation. And then the building that now houses the Needler's Grocery Store, that was the Sears, the downtown Sears and Roebuck. Built yeah. as that in the 1930s. This neighborhood, for those of our uh, listeners outside of Indy, this is a very cool, trendy neighborhood now. In fact, it's gone through numerous waves uh, mm -hmm. of, yeah. like, you know, being heavily the art district. And, of course, as any, as always happens in any city, uh, you know, the artists make a neighborhood cool and then get priced out of their own neighborhood and things kind of start happening. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's... It's gone through these big waves, so I mean, kind of like a cleaned-up Broad Ripple with way more cool places to eat and drink. Well, we're really, uh, I guess, lucky in a way because the the alarm really was um, undertaken and changed by the churches that were downtown. They saw their congregations moving to the suburbs, 
and they could no longer short drive or walk to church on Sundays. So it was the Riley Lockerbie Ministerial Association that started the Riley Area Redevelopment Corporation, the not-for-profit that now is close to 40 years old and still monitoring and paying attention to Mass Ave and now beyond on the housing side. So it was the churches that said, ah, we got to do something. We got to make sure that what's left is solid and then it can be built up for future. So they were the original plus um, Indiana National Bank, Indiana National Bank, which is the main tower built in the late 60s, finished in 1970. It's Union Planters Bank now or Regions Bank, I'm sorry. It's had many bank iterations. But that was um, a, a financial anchor to the, with the Community Reinvestment Act at that time. And they were required to invest in downtrodden neighborhoods like this. So they were able to come in and help finance storefront uh, uh, renovation, restoration, and so on. And that continued. I mean, there's some talk about how that uh, Community Reinvestment Act will change now. But nonetheless, that and the churches were the original things. David, you're a damn historian. Well, I'm also an architect by our education and training, My and that's how I got here. My question was <laughs> your, your, your attention to detail yeah. in the city. Yeah. Is that something you throw back to your time as an architect? Yeah, and I was always involved um, in an urban way with the planning of the neighborhood and became immediately involved here uh, on Mass Avenue when um, I bought the building. Have, um, have you traveled abroad much? No, no, not very much at all. Just to England, actually. Okay, I, was, I was just curious if like, you had certain particular buildings that were your favorite buildings, things you've seen or things that you'd no, want I to No, I mean, certainly going to experience. architecture school, there were very famous ones. And I really did, did like the, the late 60s um, uh, brutalism. Yeah, really? <laughs> not unlike the uh, uh, Barton Towers up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Riley Towers was in the late 1950s, not as brutal as this, but also even our uh, federal building, the Minton Capehart building along Pennsylvania there. That's of that same era, the concrete. Um, and then the early 60s stuff, uh, uh, modern, uh, mid-century modern, like the city-county building. And then the brand-new building that's across the street, which is the uh, Cummins headquarters, and then the new apartment private complex. Yeah, yeah. It's their apartments, condos, and Whole Foods on the ground floor, just about to be. So when you people. bought this place, um, what was the vibe like? I mean, like I said, this is like this great dive bar now was it did it i'm guessing it looked pretty much exactly the same then as it looks <laughs> yeah. today we've only added stuff on top of what right, was here. Right, there's right, more right, layers right. <laughs> well and you know what i bought like most bars up and down the avenue they opened at about 7 30 or 8 in the morning for after work third shift and then closed about 7 30 or 8 at night getting the after work first shift so when i was done with my architecture job and would come down here at six or seven we would be closing and so it's like that's what prompted me to add the later music in the evening, and jazz was always my favorite kind. So when you started off, and, and you said 82. Um, right. I mean, well, first off, I guess before I get ahead of myself, uh, how do you go from, like, architect to... Oh, uh, I to, just wanted like, to buy a building. Jazz club owner. Yeah, no, I just wanted to buy a building. Yeah? And the bar came with it. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got actually excellent advice from people I didn't know. Uh, Scott Keller, who was... Uh, a real estate development uh, person downtown, I think it was called Acquisition Restoration Corporation, was utilizing the Community Reinvestment Act, historic tax credits for historic preservation and so on, up and down the street and all around downtown for apartment complexes. 
um, one of my friends at the large architectural firm I worked for was doing a summer intern project for Ball State Architecture School. And she met him and found out because she was helping with a survey of buildings, what value, what age, that kind of thing, that he didn't want this building, but he would be somebody to talk to. And so I got a lecture from him on the phone after uh, I returned, uh, he, I called and then he returned the call about why I should buy it because everything around was being purchased by people that wanted to restore and renovate and make a good neighborhood. Well, they sure as hell accomplished exactly yeah, that. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Near exactly this right. So, now. you know, through those contacts and my naivete. Uh, <laughs> um, now, how were you I, back then? Uh, I was 30, 31 when okay. I bought Chatterbox. Okay, right on. 31. Wow, man. So I was 32 when I opened my first place. Let's see if mm-hmm. we're uh, having this podcast again in uh, another 35 years. Right, right, right. I'm going to guess not. <laughs> Arthur may be dead by then. We're not sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, considering the obvious amount of time that you've, you've been a part of the community and your extraordinary knowledge of the community and buildings and, and like, your, your surroundings, which blows me away because I'll get lost in my backyard, man. I mean, <laughs> I live here, and I, like, I had to call Ed. was like, where are those two? <laughs> you, were, you were, like, a block and a block away. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I don't know. It's the older I get, the more my head is in different fucking Somewhere places. else. That's all right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I'm actually thinking that it's better. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm coming around to that, that notion of letting my brain hover above my head. Uh, a little bit more often, so always being so um, so analytical. But um, so considering what you know about the, the the neighborhood and how long you've been a part of it, um, it's very obvious that you're communal in nature and have, have been a part of the growth and development, the evolution of, of Mass Ave. I mean, that just only makes sense. Active participant, yes. Well, thank you. That's 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 really great. Man. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, so I I always talk about this with Dave whenever he comes around, but I mean, so like Massachusetts Avenue pretty much is what, about 10 blocks? Really? I mean, it goes further down. Yeah, it goes east, underneath but, the interstate, so it's really only seven. Right, yeah. so uh, I think where it's we point, are... Point point seven three from southeast to north. Uh, yeah, less, south, than west to northeast. less than a mile. Less than a mile. One of, one of our places, Coca-Cola plant. Uh, Black Market, right, right, is on the very east end, and so right. we're on the far west end here, but this, I used to come down here, and again, I've, I've told you this story before, but um, this is the first bar I was ever in, ever. So this place really holds a, a special place in my heart. In fact, if you look on our Instagram feed, I've took a picture on the exact bar stool that I ever <laughs> set, the first bar stool I ever sat in. But um, when I came down here, I guess that first time I came down here I was 17. So yes, I was not of age. And well, I'm we sure were under the weather. Pre- yeah, we were under the, under the radar. Carding procedures are definitely a different story then, but uh, yeah. also the, all of Massachusetts Avenue was was under the radar because... Uh, we're just a few blocks in here, and this was it. Like, even walking down to here was a little shady. Yep, yep. And that was back in, what, 92, 93? Right. And, like, you did not go farther down because it was, unless yeah. you were buying crack or, or yep. sex. Exactly. But you've told me this story before, and if I remember, um, you came here to watch jazz. You didn't even drink when you no, were No, that's, that's 100% right. So, like, yeah. I actually, uh, I was in high school, and, um, yeah, I, listeners of the show just... No, I'm a metalhead, but what they may not know is that uh, my life dream uh, and what I expected to do with my adulthood was to be a professional jazz musician. Um, I play bass, and that was what I expected to do for, mm-hmm. for my life. And and I was at one point in high school kind of bitching with another guy uh, in front of our band director and 
saying how it like, kind of sucked that you couldn't see live jazz unless you were over 21. Right. So when that uh, class ended, he, he pulled us, me and that other guy to the side, and he said, hey, man, you guys... Uh, you guys can grow a beard pretty easy. I don't really look much different now than I did then, other than there's more gray in my beard. Um, my voice is a little more gravelly, but not much. And uh, he goes, you guys could get by. Nobody's going to even think about it. Plus, back in those days, you would not expect to see anybody hanging around Massachusetts Avenue that was just like trying to drink underage because it just wasn't that kind of neighborhood. It was just like you would go in, like you said, a working man's bar. Right. And we came in, we sat down at that bar stool over there, and it was... <laughs> I'm, I'm putting photos again on our Instagram feed. Please check it because this is the first time I'd ever seen the inside of a bar. <laughs> and it's exactly <laughs> what I thought the inside of a bar would look like. It should look like. I yeah. mean, it was like the, the perfect first experience to, to walk in. Cause I'm like, yes, this is what I thought it would be like after watching television, <laughs> you know, growing up. I was like, uh -huh. and you know, there was, I, I think, uh, jazz and kind of legendary local jazz musician. Um, Dick Dickinson was playing that evening. Mm -hmm, the drummer. And, um, I actually got to play. I, I actually sat in with Dave. Uh, Dave, I'm sorry. That would, uh, David would be you uh, with Dick um, before I was even 21. He invited me up on, and that was a really cool, special moment for me. Yeah, so, absolutely. Despite yeah. the fact that I don't get down here nearly as much as I'd like to, um, I've always, every time I walk in here, I'm like, why don't I come here more often? I mean, so you, uh, Ed likes jazz. Obviously, David has a passion for jazz, mm -hmm. uh, going back some time. I got to come clean, guys. Jazz just, it's not my jam. I didn't figure it was. Well, uh, it, you know, I, I, I. Well, because if it was, you, you. So probably you got to come here. totally clean. You haven't been here before. This is the first time you've been in the spot, which uh, I think is awesome. That the first time you get to come in, in here. Or maybe in the daylight. First right, time in the daylight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm, we I'm, all get to like chill here because I love this place. I I so dig on the the vibe here. See, there, there's obviously a lot of layers History with this place and layers <laughs> sure, and sure. you can just feel kind of the stories i mean sitting in here and you look around at everything um it, it's it's definitely a great place to um to check out but and i totally respect like jazz musicians i think they have mad chops and then some of them I, I i think are just brilliant just when it all comes together i mean probably I, maybe i haven't been exposed to the right type of jazz but a lot of jazz out there sounds like to me and sorry if I offend, like you grab every instrument there is and throw it, you know, and then you kind of hear the <laughs> That's result. That's my favorite kind of jazz. <laughs> well, except there's such a subtlety to it. I mean, you yeah. know, if you listen, there's a theme there. There's a, an actual song there. And then each individual musician, he or she just kind of goes off on their own improvisation, but always returns back to that theme. It's not really that different than what we do here on the podcast. We kind of like loosely have a framework, <laughs> but then we just kind of <laughs> roll with it. But um, I mean, yeah, it's it's been jazz clubs. Obviously, are are <laughs> dying a very miserable death across the world, and and this and what they've become in a lot of places are kind of like the fancy like dinner and a jazz kind of thing. But this is like what I've always felt a jazz club is really the lifeblood of a jazz club, where you come in, it's social. Everybody here knows yeah. everyone. You sit with someone at, that you don't know because it's crowded and you, you have know, no choice. You're yeah, you were communal and, dining before there was right, communal dining. Right, right. My experiences here, what I always uh, thought was really cool about it is because at a time in New York where it was like pay to play, right? Like if you wanted to sit in with a jazz uh, group, you, I mean, you had to know somebody or like kick a little cash their way and they might let you get up for a tune and that's mm -hmm. it. But I've sat in here numerous nights and I mean, this is going to tell you how long I've been coming in, but I mean, I've watched, you know, uh, 
legendary saxophonist Jimmy Coe come in and sit in with the band. Or, oh, yeah. Or, you know, and, Absolutely. And you've had a lot of, like, uh, kind of, you've had famous jazz musicians come in and sit in, haven't you? Well, and, and actually, uh, we did on a pretty regular basis. Um, early on, uh, they would have more of their concerts. It was really before the Jazz Kitchen hit its stride, and they're 22 years old now, something like that. It was a place to start before that. But the, we were the only place for a while. There was gaps in that. Um, and we're lucky we have had uh, Wynton Marsalis in here, probably the biggest, well, most well-known jazz musician. Uh, and often when he's in town, sometimes once a year, sometimes two or three near, his band will come if they have a layover kind of thing. He's been here a couple of times to play and sit in because we're known on the map. We're known internationally because we've been here, number one, so long. And then the lineage of great players from Indiana and Indianapolis um, sort of paves the way for them to come in and know about Chatterbox. Do, um, do you play anything yourself? No, actually not. I'm not a musician. Uh, I would... I guess love to play piano, jazz piano, but there's so many great jazz pianists here. It's like, no, what do you mean I can't do this in like six months? I want to be able to do that. Uh, you know? I suffer from the same yeah. thing. It's like, well, do I want to start a new hobby only if I can be like the best at it? <laughs> yeah, which I is going like to take a lot that. of time. In my no, seriously, like I, there are sports where it's like golf. I, I kind of refuse to learn how to play golf, despite how much business is done on the golf course. Because I know to be good, it takes a lot of time and practice and money. And whenever I have gone golfing, like you get that one hit where it makes sense, and you're like, okay, now just do that again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 repeat, you know, repeat. Right, and then repeat. the fucking ball goes behind you and hits somebody, and it, so screw it. Um, one of the things Ed mentioned earlier about coming in when he was uh, underage, <laughs> but not he doesn't do that anymore. Not to drink, to listen to the music. Yeah, that's part of the history of Indiana Avenue. I mean, the kids that are now, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they would, wouldn't even have to sneak in. They would be allowed in, not to drink, to listen to the music. Yeah, man. Side of the stage, back of the stage, to be that. So, Ed, if you... Yeah, we, I sat at that bar. You, you, you asked about it. I, I sat there and I drank water, and it, was, it wasn't that I didn't want to drink. I definitely wanted to, but I was... Somehow in my head, I was like, if I don't ask for alcohol... They won't know I'm underage, which is, of course, the biggest red flag. Uh, and I sat and I chain-smoked a pack of cigarettes at, right there in front of the bartender because I was so nervous being in here. I was here with a buddy of mine. And um, so my, my process thought process here was, like, I need to go back the next night so that guy remembers me and he gets used to seeing me. And so then I can just keep going into that place and listening to live music. So the next night I came in and your bartender comes down and he goes, hey, you're back. And he plops an ashtray right down in front of me. He goes, I know you're going to need that. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. I did get a beer the second night, but I think I just had one, you know. But uh, I think at 17 you had far too large of a conscious. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, totally, man. Um, uh, I was nervous. Like I said, I was like, sure, I'd never been uh, in a bar sure, before. Right. I was a high school kid walking yeah. into a bar, and everybody in here were these, like, accomplished jazz musicians, guys sitting in. You know, it was a real big scene, and like, you know, the, the band will come down and chat with everybody afterwards, and to me, like, they were doing exactly what I wanted to do with my life, and it was, like, it was just uh, this magical place. It was really... The, the 17 high school jazz... Yeah, man. Don't typically think about that all kind of going together, so did you, like, try and leverage that jazz shit? With the women and how did how did eighteen year old yeah, girls yeah. respond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> you rocking yeah, out eighteen year old girls. Uh, yeah, like when like Nirvana and Soundgarden are rocking. <laughs> I'm like, hey man, you heard 
You ever listen to Coltrane? Yeah, that, that'll definitely get you some, some ladies. No, it didn't fucking Uh-oh. do a damn thing for me. What are you kidding me? <laughs> I, but um, I still will say that it, like, so, I love Supreme, greatest jazz album ever recorded. We can talk about that later, but that's my damn opinion. Right. So surprisingly, <laughs> um, I am a huge fan of classical music. Um, actually, what are you ripping on the jazz over here. No, 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 no. This, this Of course, that's that... the exact opposite. Incredibly structured <laughs> no, it's, versus it's, it's got very loose We have improv. a classical night here too. Do you? Mm-hmm. It's got nothing to do with that. Follow where I'm going. So, <laughs> like, actually, the first like tape um, that I ever had was Mozart Requiem. So a little dark oh. for you know like a fucking four year old, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, if you but, understand um, what you're listening to. But I always enjoy classical in like in high school, which I I listened to all you know the. Uh, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and all those guys too, but um, someone would a girl would ask me, "So what else do you like listen to?" And I'd be like, "Oh, you know, various classical works." <laughs> Try and you know seem all sophisticated. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> various classical. Works. Actually, it worked out. You did. It often worked. Well, I, there's yeah. a lot of no's. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, but there were a lot of yeses too. <laughs> no, I was just I was way more into um, the music and and I was very very dedicated back in those days. I mean, I was spending eight hours a day practicing and mm-hmm. you know to, like it was just a, it was really magical for me to be able to come here and and i did a lot um in those days so this was i was a regular here until i was from 17 years old to 20 um at 20 i got ballsy and i brought a date here uh-huh. and she was my age but she got carded oh boy and my server who knew me yes uh was like you know what i don't think i've ever asked you for your id do you have yours too and i was like well, I guess I'm not coming back for another year. <laughs> I was like, when I hit 21, I got to come back again. But yeah, I spent a lot of years uh, just coming in here. I, I, it was every Wednesday because that's yeah, so that when, was when Dick, Dick Dickinson, Dickinson played, right? And uh, I loved coming in to, to hear him play. I mean, for for those uh, of you, and even a lot of people out there that uh, don't know a lot about jazz history in general, I, I think even in Indiana, it's, a lot of people are shocked to find out how important uh, Indianapolis was to the jazz scene. Right, absolutely. Um, there's some really big names. Probably one of the biggest was Wes Montgomery, uh, sort of invented the West Coast, West, West with the T and West Coast uh, <laughs> guitar style. Yeah, um, and his and, brother, Monk. Yes, uh, Freddie Hubbard, trumpet player, J.J. Uh, Johnson, uh, trombone player, all of them are legendary global people in the jazz world, and they all came from here. Uh, we also are really lucky with universities all within essentially an hour from here. Uh, Indiana University may be one of the best in the world with a jazz program. Really? Ball State, oh, another programs. top yeah. program in Ball State. David Baker just Butler, uh, yeah, David Baker just, just passed, passed this past year, but he was the head of that. And he was a product of Indiana Avenue growing up, like not sneaking in, being allowed in to listen and then learn. Uh, and then coupling that with uh, Butler it was a conservatory then. Many went to Butler before it was a university. Uh, and then Marion University now too. Um, you know, it's just we're really lucky to have all of these uh, higher level education yeah. places to this day that are our from here. It you was always my dream. The world. Uh, like yeah. I, I ended up actually being able to own bars, um, but not in the way that I th- thought I would when I was young. I wanted to, uh, I wanted nothing more than to own a jazz club on Indiana Avenue. Because Indiana Avenue going down, which is pretty much just leads into the university now, but that was like the heyday, uh, or in the in its heyday, that was uh, yep. a, a 30s, 40s, 50s so, of, of jazz across the country. Because people can going up to Chicago, they would stop here and just right because we were right on the train line. Okay, so um, just curious, uh, considering like 
you guys are speaking at, at, at length. <laughs> no, you're, you're talking a lot about the history, and I, I, I'm fascinated by it. But that does beg the question: like, what is the jazz culture like today? And yeah. How many how many jazz bars do we have? I mean, there's Jazz Kitchen and us. And I you mean, there are other places that do play jazz on occasion, but we're the only two in. Yeah. The city. So it's like, why the hell aren't there more? I just think it's a niche music, a niche music. Yeah, it's unfortunate it is niche. I don't see it dying here in Indianapolis at all. I mean, there are probably, I don't know what the uh, ratio would be. Let's say there are two for Indianapolis, and we have, what, a million and a half uh, in the Metropolitan District. So every 750,000 people uh, in (laughs) any other city will have one jazz club. What's your patron demographic here? Like, what age group are you seeing? Are you seeing millennials coming in? Are you seeing younger oh, sure. people yeah, getting yeah, into yeah, yeah. it? Absolutely, because they're moving downtown and discovering us and jazz. So you um, are seeing new faces and not just the, the people students that are, that are come, grad students that are coming out of these universities I just mentioned. They are those millennials. And then their instructors, associate instructors, professors, and so on, up to some still surviving Indiana Avenue guys and gals that are in their 70s and 80s. I always say, man, because um, people, everybody, and, and especially down Massachusetts Avenue, and again, this is a very kind of trendy, cool area of town, knows David. And I, th- I feel like you're like the oldest millennial on the avenue, man. Like, because <laughs> that's what keeps you young. <laughs> I, I've seen the waves, you know? Like, I mean, when I started I used to come down here. I don't know that's a compliment or no, I mean, it, it is. I mean, he's like, uh, because, you know, I, I, I when I used to come in here when I was in high school, you know, it was like a little bit of older demographic coming in and people would, it was a night out, even though we're kind of sitting in a dive, you know, still in your nice clothes and listening to some guys sitting in and playing. And then like, it just changes up and down. But now that this neighborhood's grown so much, it is the place to be a lot of nights, man. I see, I see a line out the door and you can't even get in. Mm -hmm. And some of my, my contemporaries are now empty nesters. So they're able to come back out where they had some early dates or early relationship connections here at Chatterbox with, around the music, around us, and whatever. So I'm seeing them now, too. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of empty nesters move downtown. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they want to be able to walk and go out and, you know, have good drinks and We eat have good such food. great culture, great restaurants, great theater, great music. Uh, I mean, in Symphony right on the, on the circle, uh, I mentioned a little earlier, we have a classical night here the first Tuesday of every month where many, well, all professional um, uh, classical players are here, and many of them are also from the ISO. It's really yeah, right tremendous. on the Indianapolis yeah. Orchestra. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that that was the first time that, um, so, the, or I'm sorry, I said the first time I came in, you know, I sat at the bar. The second night, I rolled back up because I was feeling brave, and I ran into uh, one of my, the guy I was with, I ran into one of his instructors who was the principal timpanist with the ISO, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been uh, Tim McAdams or Tim Adams? Tim Adams. Tim Adams. I Tim Adams. His name. Yeah. And, yeah, um, Tim Adams, right? And I walked in, and he was standing out front, hanging out with a bunch of other cats. And he's like, uh, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" We're like, <laughs> "Oh, just uh, just hanging out. What are you doing?" He's like, well, I'm I'm over here listening to some jazz." And we're like, kind of out in the patio. I, yeah. I, you didn't have a patio quite yet, but it Correct. was just like uh, just hanging out front. And he said, uh, "Oh, right on. All right, all right. well." Uh, I guess I'll see you guys later. We're going in. And he walked in the door, and we followed suit, and he turned around and gave us a shit look. It was like, he didn't say anything. No, he didn't no, give no. us away, but you could tell he was But he certainly understood. He didn't want to talk to us once we got inside. Like, those guys were underage. Yes, yeah. You, um, you were one of the first people to have a patio where you could serve alcohol, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Oh, really? We, yeah, we're just 20 years old for the patio. Uh, no patio existed with a permit before, and we were the first ones, as far as I know, in the state of Indiana to serve alcohol. 
Wow. And that was 97. That is 1997. 97. So yeah, you couldn't, even get, you couldn't, couldn't even get a patio out here until 97. Well, with the served alcohol. alcohol. Right, 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 right. Of course. Served well, alcohol. Of course, yeah. But we worked, um, the Neighborhood Association worked with the city to put in these peninsulas for landscaping or patios or whatever. Um, and only recently have there been more than one used as a patio. I'm the, I was the first one, and that was in 97. So the peninsulas uh, here, we changed the entire parking from parallel to the curb to now perpendicular to the curb, adding the peninsulas to break it up for landscaping trees, whatever. Um, and we tripled the parking spaces. That was in, that was in the, mm, let's see, early 90s then. And then it took a while to help write, I mean, the ordinance for sidewalk cafes sure. and to do that. And the city was very cooperative. They knew uh, that's what they wanted to help um, uh, ensure a vibrant street uh, life, what was going on there, just like cafes anywhere else in the world. So um, we've learned about what happens outside the doors of the Chatterbox. Let's talk about inside the Chatterbox. <laughs> um, yeah, when man. Did, when did the writing on the wall start? And I don't mean in a philosophical sense. I mean, if no one's ever been in here, like every conceivable inch of this place is pretty much <laughs> numerous times over, with, man. I was like, yeah, I mean, you can't even see the stuff from 30 years ago. I mean, you, you can only see like layer last three layer years. Layer. It's a lot of layers. Uh, well, I know exactly when it started. Um, it was the downtown Sears store that I mentioned, which is now the grocery store. Uh, announced from their Chicago headquarters they were closing downtown stores all over the country. Sears is still having economic trouble. Yeah, um, that something just happened to them. I mean, they just came yeah. Well, and part of that dilemma, which was in the early 80s, I believe they announced in 84, so I've been a two-year owner at that time, that they were going to close this store. And it was a major traffic generator for customers from there. Plus, mm -hmm. we got a ton of their employees that came here. They also came to the Old Point. They came to the front page. They came to all the little bars after work. So that was part of my significant after work business that all of a sudden was going to be gone. They'd have to go to a suburban Sears store at that time. The front page goes back that far? Oh, gosh, oh, yes. Yeah. It's, gosh, it's a yes. good ways back. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, uh, you got time. Um. So they, they're coming in. So but when, they when they announced their closure, they had a proper going away party for all employees and so on, and they adjourned to Chatterbox. Um, at the end of the party, everyone had had name tags on for the Sears gathering, and they said, could we put them somewhere? And I said, sure, put them on the refrigerator. And then some people had already lost their name tags. But because I'm an architect, I had a dark black Sharpie. They said, can we sign the refrigerator? Yeah, yeah, Is absolutely. That no, that's no, not the refrigerator. Like I remember the, I've got about five it. refrigerators. Okay, I was like, I'm looking at that refrigerator. That's too modern. I remember yes. the old one. Yeah. Or one but of nonetheless, the old ones. it started when the Sears employees came here. Some lost their name tags. Others wanted to write on there. And then it began from that point forward. Then it was on the bar top. Then it was on the walls, and then the bathrooms, and so on. So it started mm -hmm. when Sears closed. I wonder if the uh, the first woman to ask you if uh, she used to have a um, a cast and just missed it a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a fridge. There is. I will so sign many. it. <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. I've written my name and sure. numerous messages in here, but yeah, it's all it's all been covered. Up. Do you ever go through and like <laughs> just refresh everything and start anew? Well, the bar top, of course, gets always gets wiped down every night, and it's sort of wears off. We don't wipe down the walls. Sure, uh, yeah. Wipe down the bathroom walls. 
but that kind of stays. And we don't really wipe down the, the refrigerator. That's got about a seven to nine year life, and then we, we replace it. But what I have done is I cut the sides off the refrigerator and recycle the other part. So I have all the metal, the aluminum metal upstairs with all the signatures from all of them. Oh, right on, man. <laughs> I was wondering where all that stuff went. And I was hoping you did an exhibit someday. But <laughs> Yeah, there's so much history here. I mean, like, what well, do you, you do? plenty of space for it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not a big place, guys. Seats, what, 70? 70, 70? Well, we have an occupancy level of 75, and there's seats for 50. So right. we have two doors, one front, one back. Um, and so legal occupancy is 75, 50 seats. Yeah. So it's Where do tiny. you park if you're coming in the back door? You don't come in the back door. It's emergency <laughs> exit only. Come on, oh, man. Street man. parking or walking or Uber or taxi. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for as long as you've been here, man, I mean, you were one of the innovators and kind of first guys into the, I mean, not only that, but you helped build the neighborhood. I mean, without you, there wouldn't be well, a I was lot of a, what we a, see on Like a persistent, Avenue. stubborn anchor that right. stayed. What's some of the craziest shit you've seen here in the chatterbox, man? I mean, over the decades. Well, I mean, initially when we got here, the apartment building across the street, which is now beautiful retail and great. There's, there's, a, some there's condos. A, a dog biscuit bakery across the street yeah. from here. But yeah. we would watch. If that tells you anything about what has happened to the neighborhood. <laughs> Within the first, lot. first five years, we would watch crack deals go down across the street because all of the storefronts that are now businesses were apartments. And they didn't destroy the actual building. They just put stucco in there. And they were little slider windows. And you'd see it, you know, we were open, well, usually till three o'clock, you'd see a knock on the window and then the slider would go open, something would go in and something would go out. But you don't call at that time because number one, you're the only place open and there might be some retaliation, but you just, you know, live and let live. Isn't it strange how it's kind of fun to watch crack deals? <laughs> you know, if you see like a drug deal going on somewhere, you're driving by, you're just, your city, someone else's city, whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just hypersensitive. I'm like, those motherfuckers are dealing. <laughs> you know, like, I know what you're doing. Well, We're not you just tell kinda, anyone. You just kind of nod. And it's like, hmm, yeah, I know what's happening. Dude, I listened to uh, the Boogie Monster podcast with uh, Dave Stone and Kyle Kinane, fantastic comedians. But Dave actually has, like, converted his van over uh, and lives in his van out in L.A. And he's on the, on the podcast. He's talking about all the insane shit that you see. I mean, this, on top of being in L.A., like all the crack deals. And you got to find a place to park a van. You know, um, <laughs> you're, you're not parking in front of the fanciest places, I'm sure. Certain parts of certain cities are just, they're just fun to sit back and, and watch. You know, I mean, we could say that about, you know, Amsterdam, fun city to sit back and, <laughs> and, and watch. Don't get started uh, on that again, man. How many episodes you can get censored out of? I know, right? <laughs> I think we're at two at the moment. I still think the shit carts was funny. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say shit carts, uh, it, it, it got left in, I think. Go back. You know, it did. It all did. right, all right. I was, right. was stoked Brad left it in. But, but go, to, go back a couple episodes and then get a little bit of culture about Amsterdam. But as, as far as the history of this town is concerned, I mean, we talked about the jazz being so important, and it does get forgotten, but um, it's really cool that you're keeping that alive, and you're keeping alive not only that, but, like, the uh, the kind of culture of a jazz club. Like, sure. that's what I have right, alluded right. to numerous times over, over the last 45 minutes, but, I mean... This says jazz club to me. I think if it's too polished, it's too kind of uppity. I mean, they, they, that's now a lot of people from the outside looking in feel like uh, jazz is like this kind of snobby thing, and you you sip a martini and you listen. Yeah, to Yeah, we're jazz not a and, not a supper club. Not a supper. Club. There's no. room for that. I mean, I I I'm a regular up at the jazz kitchen too, and I love what they do, and I love their food. 
uh, and we share many of the same musicians, but they're much larger uh, venues, so they can have out-of-town people to come in at a little higher price. But still, I mean, there's a venue for that here in the city, and the city supports that too. I mean, they've been there over 22 years now. So we're both being supported at this level, maybe not room in the city for another jazz club. Well, I was just going to ask, like, if you were to see another jazz club pop up, like, what what area of the city do you think would be most likely to succeed? Well, very likely connected to hotels in the core of downtown, which is like a mile and a quarter from so here. The wholesale district? Yeah, something like that. And, but I think connected to a hotel would be probably the best. I mean, when I first got here, before I was involved with Chatterbox, the... Um, Hyatt Regency was built. It was during bicentennial time, so it was late 70s. They had a club in there called the Well House that was just tremendous. The top name uh, jazz people in the world would come through, be part of the hotel, wasn't much bigger than this, different configuration because that's an oddly shaped building, but nonetheless, it was called the Well House and it was great. You don't think Fountain Square would be a, a good spot? Well, no, I think it would be, uh, but you, I think you need, uh, for a jazz audience, you need travelers. Because we see a lot of travelers. I think the business plan would definitely be a lot more sound if it were connected yeah. to a hotel. I agree. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, mean, that's the only... If they were to build a hotel, like, halfway between, you know, uh, in Fletcher's, Fletcher Place, maybe something like that. Maybe sort of something like at the Alexander or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, before yeah. we wrap up here today, I mean, I just... I, again, I want to thank you, and I know I alluded to... Or not alluded to, I actually flat out said it um, earlier. I have, like, you you know, you've become well-known on the avenue... And I think it's real cool that, like, you're, like, how, well, how old are you, if you don't mind? 67. 67. You're, like, mm-hmm. the 67-year-old hipster dude on the <laughs> avenue, which is cool because— A lot of it, red wine, a lot of walking with weights. <laughs> but you're ex, you're introducing jazz, and, I mean, the fact that it's, like, this gritty dive bar draws some of the young people in. You can drink here very affordably. You've got some kick-ass craft beer, but you still get your highballs, you know, mm-hmm. and get, yep. get a beer and a shot here. But— when I drive by or I walk by, I always see like a line out the door of younger folks. And I think that's really fucking incredible, man, because like that's the people that kind of keep jazz alive, you right. know? And, and that kind of music truly attracts a very diverse racial audience. It attracts an age uh, diversity audience, uh, economic diversity audience. And that's what um, is very important to me. And I think it comes with jazz. I mean, it really does. I didn't set my mind to say, oh, that's the kind of audience I want or that's the kind of customer I want. It, if you set the bar for jazz and always have good quality, that's what is attractive. I mean, because it's a very diverse kind of music. I feel like we've only scratched the surface in this. Oh, we have, man. And, <laughs> yeah. and you're right. It is the great equalizer. I feel like the Chatterbox is a great equalizer. If you come in here, I mean, it is everybody from every walk of life. Yep, yep. I mean, there's the guy that scratched together those last four bucks so he can have and one can have, beer to right, sit at the have bar. Have a beer and listen and, to the music, right. And there's, you know, folks wearing, like, you know, dinner and a date clothes. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's super cool. People often call and say, well, is there a dress code? I said, sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. I said, T-shirts to tuxedos. And we often see that. T-shirts to tuxedos. Nice. Do um, do you have any kind of like social media presence or anything we can we can we plug have, uh, in the way of? We do have a, a Facebook page, and okay. I monitor that quite a bit. Uh, we do have a website. It's I'm having some difficulties with it, but uh, I have some friends that are going to help me. What's <laughs> your website that, but, address? Uh, it's chatterboxjazz.com. Yeah, chatterboxjazz.com. Same thing on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, yes. I I'm I don't, I don't know. Find it. Yeah. Indianapolis Chatterbox. Yeah. And you you do live music. How every many night. times? Every, every night. night. Every single night. time. Uh, so Sunday through Thursday, eight o'clock start till eleven. Uh, often it bleeds later towards midnight. 
on Friday and Saturday, we have a door charge, um, seven bucks cash, eight plastic, and that starts at 10.30, goes to 1.30 in the morning. That's why one thing I've always loved about this place, and that's why I hung out here so many years when I was underage. It wasn't because you were the only ones that would serve me. It was because I could come seven days a week, and I knew there was going to be something mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a few years where you, I think, cut back a, a little yes, bit. Yes, yeah. Those were, were lean years, Those though, were for very lean years for every, yeah, everyone. Everybody was we hurting. cut back on a few nights uh, for a while, but we're back, uh, back strong seven nights a week. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, so you, find you on Facebook. Find you on the website, but it's Correct. being revamped. Yeah, um, it's it's current, but it's just rudimentary. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, um, it's, it's a yeah. dive bar. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I always I, I always kind of like laugh a little bit when you're like find a dive bar that like has a, a website. <laughs> I'm like, it's a little bit disappointing. It's like, wah, wah, right? What? I mean, <laughs> what's, what's, like, what, I mean, what's wrong with this picture? Well, I told you when we walked in uh, before we sat down here today. It's like my two favorite dive bars in the country are the Chatterbox and uh, Max Club Deuce, uh, which I rep always hard with my t-shirts and a lot of the pictures and stuff on our Instagram feed, but it's down on Miami beach. The place has been there forever. Mm. He might've been around. Well, he's been a little around a little bit longer than you yeah. personally. <laughs> I don't know how long that bar has been around. So, huh. um, talking about being around a while at 67, you've had to come across some good hangover cures. Maybe cheese. No, a lot Arthur's of water. Good at this. A lot Are of you? water. I mean, can, I, can I, I mean, I really, a lot of water. And, uh, <laughs> someone told me a long time ago, uh, Real, real grapefruit juice. Okay, Re- real wow. grapefruit juice. Not that, and not that also, ocean spray stuff. Well, that's real. Well, yeah, it's, it's I, not a, it's okay. not a cocktail. Okay, it's, all right, it's hundred percent. Right. Yeah, because I have that every day. So that works. The uh, the ocean spray. Yeah, grapefruit. and a lot of water. See, that sounds more healthy than Amaro every day. Mm, yeah, <laughs> we got to be careful with the grapefruit, though, man. Some of that stuff in there. Yes, uh, it, it enhances combats. medications. Right, right, right. In a really? not a good way. Yes, or it like combats not a good way. some grapefruit juice. Well, it can Some, hurt something like, uh, chemically. Something. Yeah, something chemically uh, in grapefruit juice messes up medications. Of course, I'm so like, like open, don't, don't don't get your hangover cure when you're on like, antibiotics yeah, yeah, yeah. from grapefruit juice. Like, I don't know. What, I, technically, I don't know what it is. Medication. I, I just remember like I had a regular. <laughs> well, I I remember this is maybe two decades ago. I had an allergy medication called Seldane. And, of course, they have the instructions that are, like, one yard long and about a quarter inch wide, and you have to read all that stuff. And then the doctor said, you can't have grapefruit juice with this because it will give you potentially heart attack. So <laughs> it, it enhances the level to a point that is um, dangerous. I took acid one time and had some lemonade. I got fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Grapefruit juice, a lot of water, a lot of red wine. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> this is this has been great, David. I, I really really enjoyed this. Like Thank I you said, very much. Me yeah, too. Just feels like scratch the surface. There's so much history here and such a great vibe. Um, I'm gonna have to come in more often. For yeah, sure. man. I think Please I might, do. Uh, might, and might. if you come in, think of it as music, live music, not jazz, and then think about it that way. Sometimes people put a label on it, jazz, and they have a preconceived notion that's maybe right, maybe not right. But that's part of the thing. It's like, no, we have live music. Come on in. Um, you know, I certainly will, because I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to open up to, to all things and things that perhaps I've been hypercritical of historically. I'm going to open my mind and see. So One of the things I really dig about jazz. it is, like, that you can actually, like, you can sit and chat as well. Like, it's, a, it's yep. the ambience, right? So it's not right? crazy like, loud, like... Well, right. it's not like uh, if you ever go to the Green Mill in Chicago. Right. Like, you, if you, you talk are, while they're playing, yeah, they you, will shush you and yes. kick you out. Yeah. Like, here, like, the musicians are like, nah, man, it's all, like, a communal experience here, and you can... 
have a little conversation while they're playing, but you probably won't want to. You're probably going to pay attention to them yeah. anyway. But if you want to chat with the dude next to you, it's not like it's got to be dead silent in here. Kind of would kill the vibe if it was dead silent. Yes, exactly. I'm That's why it's called in. Chatterbox. <laughs> there you go, right? I'm going to come in with some sunglasses and a beret. <laughs> you you would, can. He you wore can. a beret when we yeah. walked, when he yeah, walked I have in. Have a beret it. on tonight. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Berets are dope. I like them. They're, they're awesome. Yeah, we definitely are going to hang out here a little bit more often. I mean, I don't get too many days off, but and every time I walk in, like I said, I, I always feel bad that I'm not here more often because. It does hold a special place for yeah, me. Just spreading the word helps too. What That's are, good what are thing. your hours? Twenty-four years. Uh, we open at in? four uh, in the afternoon every day, and then because the music is uh, ending at uh, eleven, we're usually open till midnight, twelve thirty during the week, and then uh, two thirty to three on Friday, Saturday. All right, kids, you heard it. Uh, open at four. Uh, live music every single night. I'm um, even during the always week. Always starts at eight during eight, the week. Eight to eight, eleven. Eight o'clock during the week. Yeah, if you're in Indianapolis or you're visiting Indianapolis, definitely put this on your list. They're at 435 Massachusetts Avenue. I, I absolutely love this place. And all the Ubers and all the taxis know where we are. So do the concierges at the hotel. Nice. <laughs> you know you've made it. Yes. You know you've made it when Uber knows where you are. Yeah. <laughs> put it on the map. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm the only one with alcohol here, but we can uh, cheers. We can cheers Thank there. You. A couple coffees and a beer. Yeah. Thank you very Excellent. much. Thank you. Until next time, uh, you can find us at uh, shiftdrinkpodcast.com. So are we going to be recording in New York for next time? We got one more before. We're going to be talking to some filmmakers. Um, I watched that trailer, man. On the Bourbon Trail. It actually looked okay. It's going to be some pretty cool stuff. And uh, then we're going to be in New York with uh, Martin Cade for a uh, couple other uh, couple other people going to be joining us as well. So got some prizes, surprises for you. Surprises. We definitely <laughs> do not some have prizes. prizes. Some prizes. Surprises. Sir. Surprises. Sir. No prizes. <laughs> We're not sending anything out to you. Nope. Never going to happen. All right, folks. Thanks right. for listening. We'll see you next time.